Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. So I was reading, I get some newsletters in my inbox, and I was reading a story from The Hustle, which they curate business and news and tech. And so last week they reported that there was a recent study. It said apparently after the pandemic lockdown, there was entrepreneurship is surged at a new high. So the Brookings papers on economic activity spent time trying to determine why. Why were the new businesses sprouting up after the pandemic? Why was that more than before? And they came up with three factors. They said, number one, the dollars by the federal government for pandemic assistance would have given some folks the capital they needed to finally start their, their dream business. Number two, work from home movement. Then that spurred new kind of needs. You know, there was new technology that was needed as we all worked from home. And number three, the great resignation, if you, if you heard of that move, where people were just, they were ready to leave. They were ready to leave the large corporations and smaller businesses you know, were able to take advantage of people wanting a new outlook in life, in their work life. So this was eye-catching to economists because startup activity actually had been in decline for decades. And so they're trying to figure out now, if this pandemic, if it broke the trend, is it going to stay that way? Are the businesses going to survive or not? We're just going to have to see. Time will tell. But when I was reading that research, I kept thinking of so many different people I know and what the, te- the pandemic just kind of did for us in our work lives is that we all just kind of reevaluated our priorities, didn't you? You kind of figured out, this is where I want to spend my time. And if life is short, where do I want to spend that time? Who do I want to spend it with? How flexible do I want my job to be? And am I doing the work that really matters to me? And so I think that a lot of us just reevaluated things during the pandemic, and I feel like maybe that's why this trend happened. Maybe people took that risk finally to, to do the work that gave them purpose, that helped them feel like they were using their talents. Um, I know a lot of us even here in Echo this past year, you've quit a job, you've looked for a new job, you've changed roles within an organization, cut back your hours, or added a fun side gig. A lot of people have been making changes lately. And some of these have been to pursue your dreams or to use talents that it's been a while since you've used. For other people, it's been necessary to change the job situation or add hours to provide more resources in your home. And those are all valid and necessary and things that we're going to go through in different seasons of our lives. We're going to have to work because we have to, or we're going to get to work and do something we love because we want to. And we've hopefully all by now, and maybe at some point, have gotten to to enjoy and use our skills. It's interesting that you can find both perspectives, though, probably in any organization you look at. Maybe you show up at work, and you can see two different people doing the exact same role, but you know what motivates them by how they do the work, right? I keep thinking of the show Superstore because Steve and I have been binging it. We never watched it back when it was originally on, but now we're watching it, so these characters keep getting in my head. So there's two characters on the next slide. We've got, 
We've got Glenn, who's standing there at the top, and Garrett. And Glenn was very positive, and he's like, I want to do everything. I love my job. And he was, like, disappointed when no one assigned him to clean up the spill in aisle five. And Garrett was like, I'm going to break you. He, like, spent an entire episode saying, no, this job wears you down, and I'm going to make it happen for you. And he was trying to steal Glenn's joy. So they're, they're, they have the same assigned job, and yet completely different motivations. And that's a different energy level because when we have to do things and we have to bring in resources in order to keep going, that's a different feeling than the things you get to do. When you're in your free time, you might put in the same amount of energy and work, but it's for the things that you enjoy or it's for the people that you love. And when you see the results of things that you, of the hard work you do and it brings someone joy, that's a different motivation than just getting things done, getting back home again. So we talk about all this, not to bring us down on a Sunday, not to just think about work, but to think about how that mentality that we're probably very familiar with can apply to faith. Because faith, it can kind of start to have the same vibe if we let it. There can be times where we feel like we're doing the things that we have to do versus doing the things that we want to do because we come to worship a God who created us and loves us. It's not a new feeling. Paul addresses this to the people of Galatia. And we're in the book of Galatians right now in our series called Jesus Redeems Our Stories. And Paul keeps trying to remind the people, the reason why you came to faith in the first place was this amazing God And so they're slipping back into this work mentality that I have to earn something, that I have to do these five steps in order to receive a relationship with God. And so Paul is going to spend the rest of the letter, but beginning today, digging into that mentality and helping them to move back to the better perspective. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 today if you want to follow along, or we'll have the words on screen. Now, please note that this was a letter, and they would have sat down and read the whole thing all at once. So we're reading it chapter by chapter, so I'm going to try to bring in this, remind us where we are in the letter, because that perspective matters, because Paul didn't just stop after chapter one and say, read the next one the next day. They would have read the whole thing and seen his perspective, so you can watch back in previous live streams to see where we've been, but I do want to recap a few things. So first we have Paul, who was Jewish, and he was called by God to preach to the Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people. Now, in people in Galatia and in these churches, there was probably Jewish people and non-Jewish around each other, and they were learning how to worship together in this church. And they all were focused on Jesus, and Paul went around, and he was teaching about Jesus and how to figure out how to live, how to be in a church, how do we live like Jesus, how do we worship him? And so his goal was to start churches, which would have been in people's homes, small groups, as we would see them, were these churches. And so Galatia was a letter that was sent to a specific region, but a bunch of different churches within at different people's homes. So they'd pass the letter around, hey, Paul sent us a note, let's read it together. And the churches in Galatia is modern-day Turkey. So that is where our setting is. And Paul, if you recall a couple weeks ago, he began the letter saying, I'm concerned because I left and then I hear that some other people came to your churches and they're speaking things that are not true. 
And it said, he was like, it looks slightly different, but it's a big deal. So basically, some new folks came in and said, okay, all of you who are non-Jewish, you need to become Jewish first, and then you can add Jesus to that. And that sounds interesting. It might even sound like, wow, that's a really neat culture to be a part of, and there's great traditions, and there's history here. But Paul is going to say, that, that is not the point. The point isn't to go back, but to go forward. And so he's like, you can join Jesus along with us all at once, right where you are. You don't have to go back and go through all of these laws and rules that my people, Paul says, had to go through. So the next thing he did, last week we talked about it, is that Paul shared his credentials. He's like, just to make sure, I went back to Jerusalem and talked to the original apostles, the disciples who lived with Jesus, and I just double-checked. Like, are we on the same page? Are we teaching the same thing about Jesus? And they said yes. So Paul is trying to communicate to the people here, what I'm saying to you in this letter is nothing different than anyone else's preaching. We're all on the same page. But last week, Paul also talked about a scandal. He said, I did have to confront Peter. And this was a big deal. Peter believed the same thing that Paul did, that everybody can come to Jesus right away. You don't have to become Jewish first. You just join right in to God's family. And yet, at one point, somebody was looking at Peter, and he kind of got worried about what everybody else was thinking, and he refused to have dinner with some Gentile Christians. And because he is a leader, a well-respected leader in the church, other people were like, oh, well, if he's doing it. And so then Peter had to come out publicly and clarify the, the confusion to say, no, that's not what I believe. I do believe the same thing as Paul. So all of that groundwork is laid because it matters, because the people in Galatia needed to hear that everyone in this new movement, this Jesus movement, were, were on the same page. And that takes a lot, right? We're all people, we're all humans, we all have our issues, we all have our errors. And so the first church is no different than we are today, trying to struggle together and figure out how to live. So Paul's like, okay, now that we're here, let's dig in and look at why why it matters that we can just go right to Jesus. Galatians 3, verse 1. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. It just sounds like such a... I love every translation. Look at this up in every translation and see what different words people use to try to be like, you guys, it's okay. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. First verse, I just love a couple of visuals that are here. First, it says evil spell. That's fascinating. Magic was highly revered in this ancient time, and Paul is using these words because it, they were used to like things that could control or alter you. And Paul's like, the way you're looking at the law of God is like enchanting you. It's like doing a little bit of a magic thing. Let me break it down for you. The other amusing thing to me is that as he's saying, who bewitched you, he's calling some people out, right? He's saying some people have come in and they're trying to put a spell over you and your faith. And actually, the people who would have been spreading this false gospel were still probably there based on the context that we can read. So here they receive a letter from Paul and they read it out loud and people are getting called out who are sitting among them, right? So they're kind of looking around being like, oh, something's going on here. The second thing is, is that it says, we made this clear as a picture. 
I like the New Living Translation wording here. And we likely take it to mean that Paul has described Jesus' life and death and resurrection so clearly that they could see it. But one of the commentaries I read, the guy was like, the wording, there's a slight chance that Paul was actually like, would have sketched it out for them. And I love that. Like, use a visual aid. Like, he's going to draw it for you. Like, this is Jesus, and this was his life, and this was what the cross means. Let's keep reading. Verse 2 says, Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? So in telling the Galatians that they had to become Jewish first, the false teachers were basically saying, go back and obey all those laws of Moses just like we did growing up, and then just add a little Jesus on top. And while everything, like we said, while that, that history is there, what Paul was focusing on was like, I don't want you to go back to a system that's not going to save you. The law was a human effort to maintain a relationship with God. It was all about doing work and trying to, to be right with God. Following the law, here, if you still did that, you were implying that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. So Paul's saying, this is a big deal. You think you're just going back and finding some nice boundaries to put in your life. But Paul's declaring that that is just throwing everything back in Jesus' face, saying that he wasn't enough. So the believers had a picture of the cross, and it was Jesus' free gift. Jesus did the work, and the relationship with God doesn't require human work added to that. It's given to us. We're offered a relationship with God. Verse 5, Paul says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham a long time ago when he said all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Okay, that's a lot here. But basically, Abraham is He's a well-respected founding father for several religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. And so he's bringing back, like, here's the guy that all of the Jewish Christians still hold on to, and he's still a great guy for you to follow. But guess what? Even he didn't have the law. Abraham had faith, and he was considered family of God. And then later, as we studied through the book of Exodus this year, Many centuries later, Moses came along, brought God's people out of slavery in Egypt, and that's when the law began. And we'll talk a little bit next week more about why that was given. And if this thing couldn't save them, why was it around in the first place? Come back. We'll keep talking because it's a big, layered situation. But Abraham's faith was looked up to, and it says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God. God counted it as righteousness. 
So Paul's like, yes, hold on to the tenets of Judaism, the good pieces, which began in faith. It didn't begin in a lot of works and a lot of to-do lists. It began with faith. And then Paul quotes Genesis 12 where it says, all nations will be blessed through you. God gave Abraham that promise. So Paul's putting it together for him saying, look, Abraham had faith and through Abraham, all nations were already part of God's plan. So Paul's looking at the Gentiles to say, you were already in God's mind all along and it's all through faith. You've never had to go back through and do a bunch of extra things on top of that. Have faith in God's savior, who is Jesus, and you're part of the family. You're already in. Galatians 3, verse 10 continues. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under God's curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one could be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. So in this small amount of, of verses here, Paul's telling a bigger story. And I feel like we cannot read this without remembering Paul's story himself. Paul said, you know what? If you want to do the law thing, guess what you have to do? You have to do all of them all of the time, every day. Can't break anything down. Can't mess up. Like if you want the law to be your redemption, here's what it takes. And you know why he says this? I feel like he says this because two weeks ago, we read that Paul shared, guess what? I was, I was vigorously I was vigorously following Judaism, which means he probably tried to do this. He probably literally thought he could find a way to be perfect, that he could obey all those laws, that he could not mess up. And he probably tried again and again. But I think he said, I know this is futile because I tried and it's exhausting. And not only that, all of that human effort, when he worked so hard, it became toxic in his life. He became violent because he thought Jesus was doing it wrong. He became violent because he saw people following Jesus. So all of that human effort, he said, this is the worst way it can go. When you try to work so hard to serve God and to think you're earning something, it can get real dark real fast. And so I think that when we see Paul's strong language, like foolish, like don't do it. Like he's just like crying out to say, look at me. It's bad. Don't do what I tried to do. There's a better way, and it's freeing. Keep reading verse 13 to 14, and we'll finish our passage for today. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So trying to follow the law only brought about wrath. That's never a topic I really want to talk about, the wrath of God. But we sang those words earlier in our song today, if you remember. 
the wrath of God was satisfied. What does that mean? Well, when people broke the law, it says that they were cursed. I I like the summation that theologian Esau McCulley said. In his book, Reading the Bible While Black, he said, sometimes the law limits the damage we do to each other. And we'll talk a little bit more about why the law was given and what it meant for God's people. But that quote helped me to try to look at the law in a new way. The reason why God set up these boundaries and all of these detailed regulations were that people had been really treating each other badly. And they kept trying to do all the work. And God said, let me just lay it out for you. Here's a way to do the least amount of damage to yourself and to each other. And I thought, that's an interesting way to look at it. Like, this wasn't the plan. The law was not what God wanted and was the eternal solution. But for a time, it was to keep people from harming each other. Like, what a way to look at it. That God cares so much about his image in the people and in the people they were interacting with that he's like, how do we just keep you on the, on the least amount of damage as possible? We feel... We see, we know injustice in our world today, and we, can, we have a sense of what's not right. And that is that we get a glimpse of how God feels when we are harmed, when anyone created in his image are harmed. And God created the entire world, and he looks on us, and he loves us, and then he has to hold people accountable for damaging one another. Because that hurts his heart. And that's that word wrath that we read about. Maybe it helps you, like it helps me to see it, well, like like a mama bear. (laughs) When God feels protective of those he loves, he's willing to fight. The problem is, if we're the ones doing the damage, then we're on that fighting end. But the motivation is that love of his bear cubs. That love motivates him to be protective. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking the wrath for all time. He said, I'll take it. And that his death satisfied divine wrath once for all time. Which means anyone who lived before Jesus, who had faith in God, were covered by that redemption. Anyone who lives after us today, we can cling to faith in Jesus and the sins done to us and the sins we've done, they're taken away. It's a gift. And Paul just wanted to remind the Galatian believers that they can just have the gift. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to look backward, they can look forward. And they can hang out the Gentiles and the Jewish people together because moving forward, we're all one family. And that's that's a good reminder for us still today. But we still do things. We still care. We still put in some work. But we do it with a different motivation. Let's go back to our opening conversation about work about our jobs. Can you see the correlation? Having a job to get through, to survive, or finding a job where passions and skills flourish. Which one feels less burdensome? 
with faith. We can approach our relationship with God to try to earn his favor and, and get gold stars and follow all the rules because we think that that's the only way to get his attention. And yet, here we're reminded that trusting in the work Jesus already did will bring about a flourishing relationship with God. We just have to lean in on the gift Jesus gave us. So I want you to think about this week. How are you approaching your faith? Because I'll admit, subconsciously, when you're doing good things, you kind of, it's easy for a sneaky feeling to creep in to be like, well, God must love me better today because I was really good today. Yesterday, not so much. But that's, we're told that's not the truth, that God's love for us is equal on every day. And, and the things that we do, we can do because we already live in grace and care, and therefore, we want to bring goodness into the world. Loving people and living like Jesus, I'm going to say, it's work. <laughs> it's it's not like it magically comes easy now because we are believers in Jesus. It's still work, but why we do the work makes the difference. We're not putting in the work of our faith out of fear or forced labor. We're not trying to earn our position. But if we work to make our lives, our relationships, and our world better, we're trying to reflect the creator, reflect the beauty that is already here. And it's a gift that we get to serve in the kingdom of God. When we put human effort into our lives daily now, we can rest assured our stories have already been formed and redeemed by Jesus and we can go add more pages to the story with our care, with our love. We can bring the wholeness of God's truth and grace through his spirit into the world. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for giving us opportunities to serve and to work, but you've given us skills that, that bring about life and beauty in our lives and other people's lives. We thank you for showing us a way where the things that we do can be a response to your grace, to your love that you've already given in our lives. Lord, we ask you to move through our lives. Help us to notice injustice and, and speak up on your behalf, in your words, speaking your truth so that we can bring about care and redemption and speak your redemption into other people's lives. Thank you for putting your image in us and caring so much about every single one of us. It's through Jesus that we come to you, and we thank you. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.